Welcome to a special podcast from Finnegan. September marked the 10th anniversary of the America Invents Act. Today, two Finnegan partners, Arpita Bhattacharya and Tim McAnulty, are here with us to reflect on the legislation's legacy and discuss some of the legal challenges that remain unresolved. So thank you both for being with us. You know, Tim, the goal of the AIA was to modernize the patent system and to make the U.S. more competitive in the global economy. Is there any consensus on whether it has accomplished those goals? Well, leading up to the AIA enactment, most of the discussion centered on moving the U.S. to a first-to-file regime in line with a lot of other major patent systems. And that effect has been relatively smooth. Prosecution has started to shift over to post-AIA patents, and litigation is starting to deal with those patents that, as they come out of the patent office. Does that make the U.S. patent system more competitive? I think that's a difficult question to, to answer, and I don't quite know if there is a pure answer for it, but the first-to-file system does put the U.S. more in line with the rest of the world. IPRs and PGRs were not as heavily debated or discussed pre-AIA enactment. Maybe that's because they are more akin to procedures we already had in place, like re-examination. And there was some goal to have a similar post-grant challenge, similar to EPO oppositions. But since the PTAB went into effect post-AIA, most of the discussion has dealt with the PTAB. And I think a lot of that debate, and whether it's making the U.S. patent system more or less competitive, is still ongoing. And what do you think, Arpita? Did the AIA live up to its promise? I agree with what Tim said. When AIA was signed into law 10 years ago, much of the discussions surrounded the change from first to invent to a first to file system, whereas much of the debate now is about the PTAB. And when it comes to post-grant challenges at the PTAB, I don't think we have quite achieved the goal of harmonizing the PTAP post-grant challenges with, say, EPO oppositions, where it is easier to maintain a patent in at least amended form, whereas claim amendments in the PTAP are hardly successful. So I think time will tell if we can modernize the claim amendment process in the PTAP and bring it more in line with, say, EPO oppositions. And Arpita, the AIA has faced a number of legal challenges over the last decade. Can you just remind us what have been some of the most uh, significant? Sure. Some of the most significant challenges, I would say, are the constitutional challenges to the PTAB, as well as the IPR proceedings. I think oil states, which challenged the constitutionality of IPRs, was very significant. But ultimately, the Supreme Court determined in that case that patents are a government franchise that are subject to reconsideration by the patent office and can be revoked at any time. And uh, in hindsight, the decision was preordained. Can you imagine what would have happened to the patent system if uh, suddenly IPRs were found unconstitutional and all of a sudden a bunch of patents that were previously invalidated were resurrected? I think the Artrex challenge, which was also a constitutional challenge to the PTAB, was also very significant. And there again, the Supreme Court did find a violation of the appointments clause, but remedied that violation by finding that the USPTO director can unilaterally review and reverse APJ decisions. 
And Tim, any other uh, observations on some of those legal challenges that we've seen over the last decade? I agree with Arpita. Those are, at their core, the most significant. They're challenging the constitutionality, and it ties into the first question and what's the the legacy of the PTAB and the AIA as as we're going forward. I think with those two questions, those two main questions and Arthrex being the most recent, the PTAB and IPRs and PGRs do appear to be here to stay. There have been challenges since the AIA has gone into effect as far as what they will look like and how the PTAB will continue, if at all. And I think where we are today, it looks like we will have the PTAB for the foreseeable future. Okay. What has been the impact that these challenges have made on patent litigation? You said that IPRs are here to stay. Any other conclusions that you draw, Tim? To me, generally, parties need to be able to adapt. Um, They need to be flexible. As we've seen over the last 10 years, there's been a few significant challenges, both to constitutionality, but also a number of procedural issues and merits issues. And there's been a number of cases where the Supreme Court has taken a case that has directly impacted a number of cases that are pending, both in district court and before the PTAB. It is somewhat surprising, at least to me, that the Supreme Court has taken so many cases with respect to the PTAB in such a short period that directly affect hundreds of cases, if, if not thousands, depending on, on how wide you look at it, between the PTAB and district courts since the AI has gone into effect. Arpita, what would you add about the impact these challenges have had on the patent litigation landscape? I would add that only time will tell what impact the Artrex decision will have on patent litigation. So as a result of the Artrex decision, the USPTO has implemented interim procedures where the director can sua sponte review an APJ decision or the parties can request review of the APJ decision by the director. But it is too early to tell how effective director review will be, how many decisions the director will sua sponte review or whether the director is likely to overrule the APJs or not. It's just been a couple months since its implementation and we haven't seen too many decisions on that. But that's just something panel litigators should remember that they have another tool they can utilize if they receive an adverse decision from the PTAB. One thing I'd like to add, I agree with Arpita, the overall effect of some of these decisions from the Supreme Court in isolation may not be that impactful, but they do add some uncertainty to cases, um, especially if there is going to be director review, if your PTAB case, your IPR is one that the director is going to take up. And I, I think for litigants, especially in a district court case that has a parallel PTAB proceeding, more certainty is usually better and knowing sort of what the landscape is going to look like. And I agree that time will tell. And over the last 10 years, I think we've seen a number of shifting um, decisions that have directly impacted a number of cases. And I think over the next few years, we're going to see the same until we really have a, a solid body of law on how these cases are going to go across the board. You both mentioned Supreme Court cases over the last decade reviewing the AIA, oil states, Arthrex, and others. Are, are there common themes 
that run through these decisions, Arpita? As with any new law, there is bound to be constitutional challenges and also cases challenging the interpretation of statutory language. And we have seen both of those uh, with the AIA. Cases like oil states and Arthrex challenge the constitutionality of IPR proceedings and PTAB, whereas other cases like Quozo, SAS Institute were about how the PTAB operates. For example, what claim construction standard it should use, whether it should review all challenge claims or not. And then there are cases like Click to Call and Helsin, which reviewed certain statutory provisions and what they mean. So I think we have seen a common theme. I would put them in two buckets. There are the constitutional challenges, and then there are those cases that are uh, challenging the interpretation of statutory provisions. Now, the only thing I'd add to what Arpita said is that, first, I agree that the cases have focused more on constitutional challenge and statutory interpretation. It issues that, while specific to the PTAB and, and the patent system, do sort of tend to be more about an Article II agency and deference to the office in looking at a, a statutory scheme that has a lot of asks to the office to implement rules and procedures in view of a relatively limited statutory scheme. And a lot of the Supreme Court cases that deal with the statutory side of it tend to look at issues that talk about deference to the office in implementing and executing some of the guidance that uh, the statute and Congress has given to the office and making sure it's in line with that directive. Well, let's talk about the impact the AIA has had on patent litigation strategy. Arpita, how would you characterize that? IPRs and to a lesser extent PGRs have become part and parcel of patent litigation strategy. I don't think I have been involved in any litigation in the last few years where the defendants did not file IPR petitions. And I think it will continue to stay that way. And this is because it is easier to invalidate a patent at the PTAB than in a jury trial because of the lower preponderance of the evidence standard in the PTAB versus the higher clear and convincing standard in the district court. Moreover, I think patent judges are more experienced and sophisticated decision makers, so they are willing to go in directions that a typical lay jury wouldn't. So as far as litigation strategy goes, I think people have been and will continue to consider filing IPR petitions whenever they're involved in a district court litigation. Tim, do you agree? Completely agree with Arpita. I think the PTAB affects pre-lit analysis, litigation strategy, both from a patent owner perspective, as well as a, a potentially accused infringer. I also think the PTAB affects ongoing portfolio counseling and portfolio development as far as building patents and portfolios with an eye towards enforcement, knowing, as Arpita said, that an IPR challenge and perhaps a, a PGR challenge is going to be a part and parcel of every litigation strategy. Arpita, what are some of the legal issues stemming from the AIA that remain unresolved? 
panel-to-panel -panel inconsistencies is something that I struggle with in my day-to-day -day practice. Perhaps more presidential decisions from the PTAP will help to resolve that. One example I can give is, when is an argument in a reply or a sur-reply considered belated or waived, or when is it a proper rebuttal? Different panels seem to look at it and rationalize it differently. And so far, the few decisions from the federal circuit on this issue have not been very clear either. So I think for me, in my practice, some of the issues that remain unresolved are very practice-oriented issues that I think the PTAB should tackle perhaps through presidential decisions. And Tim, would you add anything to that to that list? Uh, to me, one of the major issues that's really percolating at the moment is estoppel and a parallel proceeding, and primarily the scope of that estoppel. It's a somewhat complicated issue because we're still seeing a lot of deeper issues or deeper effects of PTAB challenges. Uh, and estoppel to me is one of them, and they're just starting to find their way through the courts. PTAP practice is changing and it has been changing and estoppel has been affected by some of the changes and some of the Supreme Court decisions we've seen too. And unlike other challenges or, or questions like constitutionality and PTAP jurisdiction, things like that, that have been appealed directly from the office to the courts, especially the federal circuit, and then onto the Supreme Court, issues like estoppel need some time to work through district courts and litigation in parallel cases um, where challenges at the PTAB have left some claims intact. Uh, there have been some early cases like Shaw that have dealt with some issues that are no longer really in effect based on some of the Supreme Court decisions like SAS. So I think estoppel is one that's going to continue to percolate until we have some cases that find their way to the federal circuit and some decisions and guidance, at least from the federal circuit. And I agree with Arpita that, generally speaking, you know, more guidance, more cases, more development of the case law overall provides more consistency and parties can plan the unknown or difficulty in having one court decide something one way or one panel decide something one way versus the other, that unknown or inconsistency can be difficult to maneuver. Hmm. And, and how about another uh, forward-looking question, uh, Tim? Is, is there any issue that could be ripe for Supreme Court review in the near term? I think this is a difficult question to predict, but discretionary denials may find its way to the Supreme Court. Um, there's been a few recent decisions by the PTAB, some presidential decisions regarding discretionary denials, denials uh, regardless of the merits where the PTAB declines to institute a particular petition, uh, most often because of parallel cases and especially timing of those parallel cases. Say a district court is going to reach a decision before the PTAB might on validity of claims. The, the PTAB has issued some decisions lending itself to its discretion to decline institution regardless of the merits. There's been some challenges in district courts challenging the PTAB authority to deny institution when the merits are otherwise 
good enough to warrant institution. The Supreme Court has touched on this issue in some other cases, especially SAS, although it did not affirmatively decide uh, the degree that the PTAB has for issuing presidential decisions dealing with its discretionary uh, decision at institution. Uh, So that's something that may find its way to the Supreme Court. Another question that may find its way is Article 3 standing for petitioners and whether petitioners who do not necessarily have a parallel district court or another case or controversy that warrants Article 3 standing to bring a challenge in a district court, whether or not they have Article 3 standing to take appeal to the federal circuit after an unsuccessful PTAB challenge. That may lend itself to something that the Supreme Court is interested in um, and interested in resolving. It's a statutory interpretation and it has some link to overall agency effect. Um, so that may be something as well. Well, there's two issues to uh, keep our eye out on, but we'll leave it there for, for now. Uh, Arpita and Tim, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a special podcast from Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. Our guests have been Arpita Bhattacharya and Tim McAnulty. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.